All right, we are uh, continuing with uh, our lesson on evangelism by Jesus. But before I begin, um, Howard gave me uh, something that Chuck Colson had written, which I think is really good uh, and really says a lot to me about why I believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And one of the profound pieces of evidence that uh, show that. And this is a direct quote from Colson. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate, on the other hand, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. <laughs> yeah, I can clap for that. Yeah, Colson got it. He got it. He, he understood it. That is so perfectly written. Exactly right. So here, we've been studying evangelism by Jesus. And the point of this whole study is so that you become equipped to see how the kingdom of God really works. It's not the way we may have charted it in our own mind. Uh, because effectively, what happens to a lot of Christians is we like to associate with people like ourselves, people that dress the way we do, people that speak the way we do. Those are the kind of Christians we like to be with. Well, in fact, God blew that apart. Jesus blew that apart. And we see in, in these studies that Jesus goes after the very bottom rung of society. Those people that were despised in every way, Jesus goes out and reached them. Um, and so now today, we're going to study one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the prodigal son. And it operates on multiple levels. Uh, Jesus is teaching us multiple things. Here you see, really, I say the greatest communicator in the history of the world, Jesus Christ. Uh, and he's now going to give us a story, a parable, that will have multiple meanings in it. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this, the estate. So he dis divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a story. What an unbelievable story. As you see God, the kingdom of God, the mercy uh, and love of God reaching out in an incredible way, so differently than, than we might expect it. And so this, this parable is complex and riveting, focusing on a number of, of levels. And so the first thing I want to give you is the backdrop so that you understand how these communities would be built. Growing up, I had an impression of this story that it was a big mansion set alone on, a, on acreage. Uh, and I had this, this impression of the way it was, it was set up. But in fact, that's not the case. If you understand how these communities were built, they were built with houses close, very close together. And the streets were only eight feet wide. And everybody in those small towns knew everybody's business. And so as this, you can imagine, as this unfolds in this story, uh, and this son, this son asked for his inheritance, that would be an unthinkable act. That would be unthinkable in this society, that you would go to your father while your father is alive and demand your inheritance. That would be a despicable act, and I'm sure people would know it in the community, and that young man would become reviled. Uh, I mean, it's just the nature of the way it is. And then when everybody knows that. And so people who li would listen to this story would right up front think this is unthinkable. This is disgraceful. Um, uh, and, and what kind of a, a child is this that would do this to his father? And so the young son leaves the village immediately. And he goes out to a far country and quickly spends all of his money on wild living. And while there, and this, of course, is, is symbolic of the way we live that we walk away from God, that we're not interested in being with God, that we go and want to do our own things. And guess what? After you'd spend enough years doing your own things, you wind up being destitute spiritually. He was destitute here uh, physically, but he was also destitute spiritually. And that's the essence of this lesson. Um, and so here he recognizes that he's here. He's with the pigs. He's eating pig food. There's nothing more uh, disgraceful for a Jew than to actually have to eat a pig. Then on top of that, you're affiliating and associating with pigs, and now you're eating the, the food for the pigs. It doesn't get any lower than this. 
And so he comes to his senses, and he recognizes that his, the hired servants of his father live better than he is, that he has sinned against his father, that he has sinned against God, and that he needs to go back and get it right uh, and do what is right by both God and his father. And so as he returns, one of the things, the first thing that you see is as he's returning to the father, the father sees him coming a, a distance away. And so the father knows that the son is despised by the community because they all knew what went on. And so the father wants to embrace the son before all of the, the nosy neighbors will, will insert themselves into their lives. And so the father runs to see the son. Now, if you were a Jew in that period of time, you would be wearing a robe. In order to run, you would have to hike the robe up and show your naked leg. That would put you in a, a suspicious, in a position of disgrace. You didn't show your legs, all right? You didn't do that. But he loved the son so much that he didn't care what they said or how they viewed him. He wanted to embrace the son with love and show him. And so here he runs to him, hiking the robe up, showing his legs and embracing him. Uh, and so this is an amazing situation when you understand that's exactly how Jesus views us, that he will go to that extent to embrace us, that wherever we are, that as long as we come back and turn and say, Lord, forgive me, I need a savior, that Jesus immediately comes, God reaches across millions and millions of miles through eternity and embraces us. We can't seem to understand this because it's nothing like we would do. We would never do this. If your, your son dis, asked you for something as outrageous as this, most of us would have disinherited him. How dare you speak to me like that? How dare you look at me after all I've done for you and this is how you live? And yet you see the love of God, the love of God. All that God wanted to see was that the young man would, would come back, all right? And, and, and so you see this. And so he gets there first before the other neighbors can have a reaction. And he lifts up his robe and runs. This is an incredible surprise. Uh, and, and so a, another surprising aspect of this story is that there is no public rebuke. You don't see in this story the father saying, you were a loser. You embarrassed me. You took that inheritance. That was really not appropriate for you to get. How dare you do that? And then you go into a wild country and you live like a loser. You, you, you become destitute. All your money is spent in wild living. Does that sound like something we might say? Seriously, well, maybe it's just me. See, I guess it's, it's just me. You guys wouldn't say that. I know it. You guys wouldn't say it. But I would say it. How dare you do this to me? All right? And yet you see no public rebuke. No condemnation, no review of the sins. He had come back and begged for forgiveness, all right? And, and so the father embraces him and doesn't go back and review the past. Instead, the father hugs the son and kisses him in front of everybody. And this is important. All the neighbors must be sitting there with their mouths agape, watching this, looking at the father, knowing what he went through, and yet seeing the love of God the love of God embraced. There's no criticism. There's no demand for apologies. There's no self-humbling. Uh, 
Instead, what does the father do? The father tells the servants to go and bring a signet ring, the family stone. Go and bring the, the ring to put on the, the uh, young man's finger to let him know that he is now a part of the family of that father, meaning now a part of the family of God. It is as if when you come to Christ and you embrace God, that God puts that signet ring on your finger, that you are now there forever. And that's why we say that, that you are, when you are saved, when you come to God, when you really are saved, meaning not just on your lips, but in your heart, that God holds you forever in, his, in the palm of his hands and that you are guaranteed. And so look at the celebration. You've seen this in all three stories in this Luke 15 segment, that in all three stories, when the lost come back, when they come back to the kingdom of God, God in every single instance celebrates. It says the angels sing. And so God is celebrating the return of the lost. The son that was lost is now found. Now, all of this is extraordinary, but at the height of the celebration, at the very point when, when this celebration goes on, the elder son returns from the field. And there's a little bit of the elder son in every single one of us. Uh, the elder son refuses to go in and be a part of the celebration. And now we hear what I call the fourth surprise. There is no rebuke for the actions of of the older son. Uh, instead, the father pleads with his son and begs him to come in. Um, and the response of the elder son is rather shocking. He does not acknowledge, he, uh, he does not acknowledge his own brother, your son. You notice that in the reading? Your son. Not my brother. Not my brother, but it's your, your son. And he continues to indict the, the younger boy. Um, and what we see here is this astonishing complaint that you never threw a party for me. You never threw a party for me. You, instead, the, the recalcitrant one goes out and lives with pigs and prostitutes. And now you come back and celebrate him. But you never threw a party with me. And one of our brothers this morning made a very good point to me uh, and said, this is an indictment really on, on how some people live their lives meaning that they expect a payoff for serving God. We expect a payoff. God, how much, how much can I expect in this left hand, Father, if I give you my right hand? If I serve you and walk with you, Lord, what will you give me? What kind of blessings will come into my life? Let me clue you in. You are entitled to zero. You are entitled to nothing. The sheer joy of being in the kingdom of God with the assurance that you will be with Jesus and God the Father forever, along with your family members who have accepted Jesus Christ, is payment more than we could ever expect. You understand that? Payment more than we could ever expect. And so this spirit of you looking, or this young man looking for some physical payoff because I was following God. You know, you even hear it with, with I mean, well-meaning people who say, I don't understand it. Why am I having a hard time in life? Why are these things befalling me? Uh, and I've served God, and yet look at what happens to me. Uh, and here's the point, people. 
How did it work out for the first 11 guys? How did it work out for the first 11 guys? Was it a cakewalk for those guys? Oh, this is great. Boy, since we followed Jesus, this is tremendous. We're just walking on this red carpet. All right, we're just walking right into heaven. It was a disaster. They were either all murdered or martyred or crucified, every one of them. Uh, the one that couldn't be, be martyred, they put him in a pot of boiling water, boiling, boiling oil. And, they, and instead of dying, because God saved him, we know this from Polycarp, talking about John, the Apostle John, that after about an hour of floating around like he was in a hot tub of boiling oil, <laughs> true story, and the curtains are going up in flames, they, they finally yank him out, and they were going to kill him again. And it's one of the senators warned the emperor, you can't do that under Roman law. He'd already suffered a capital punishment. You can't do that. That's why he went to Patmos in exile. How do you, you see how God works? He goes to Patmos in exile because they couldn't boil him to death in a pot of oil. And all the hand of God, because there on Patmos, he would be there to write the book of Revelation. All right, as God would give him this. You see how God is, but don't tell me, please. What, I'm not getting enough of what I expected. That's the kind of attitude that really needs you to get back on your knees. All right? And you need to see it. And this, this elder son is, is really disturbing uh, because it signifies what some people in the church, so-called godly people, act. It's what they think. It teaches us about ingratitude, self-centeredness, and destructiveness, uh, and it also teaches us how we are to relate to one another. Uh, and so you, this lesson is so incredible and operating on so many different levels. And so here's the question I have for you. What is our reaction when we come across someone trapped in sin? You come across somebody caught in sin. Their lives have plummeted. They're completely destroying themselves. What is our reaction? Do we rejoice, gloat, point an accusing finger, gossip, or even turn away, banishing them from our sight? I'd say for sure, many of us will announce a judgment. You are a loser. You are where you deserve to be. God is, pointing, is pouring his vindictiveness out on you. By the way, I don't see God doing this. I see evil pouring out its vindictiveness. I see demons and Satan pouring out their vindictiveness. But with God, all I see is the ever-encompassing mercy and love of our Father. All right? That's what I see in all these things. And that's the lesson for you as you reach out to a lost world. So if you see some poor person stuck and mired in sin, your job is not to pronounce judgment. I said this before and I'll say it again. You are not the appointed fruit inspector. Instead, you are the messenger of love. God looks at us as he wants us to reach out and give love to the lost. Just as these stories show, you need to keep in mind how the prodigal father acted. And what an incredible, incredible message this is. Are we merciful? Are we praying? Are we longing and hoping for repentance? Uh, do our hearts break for the lost? Do we welcome any sign of a change of heart ready to do anything that can help a lost 
brother or sister back into the family of God? That's the question. Do you see some spark, some slight example, some hope that this person can in fact come back? And do you embrace that spark? Do you fan it and lift it and bring them back into the family of God? And the only way, the only way we can do it is when we love people. When you, when you give love, I want you to see this father coming, seeing the son and embracing him, running to get him and embracing him and didn't care that his legs were showing, didn't care what other people would say about him. And that's how God wants you to be. He wants you to be that way, that you embrace the loss. That doesn't matter what other people in the church say. Oh, look at Joe. Look at the kind of people he's hanging around with. All right. God doesn't care about that. He wants you to stand up and be the paradigm, to be the way that God wants us to live and go out and get the lost. You want to bring the lost people to God? These are the examples of how you do it. You want to do evangelism? You need to do it by the way Jesus has told you to do it. All right? You're not going to go out. <laughs> Listen, God didn't call us to evangelize the church. God didn't call us to evangelize the Bible study. Okay? God called us to go out in the parking lot to go out in this city, to go out to the curbs, to go out to the lowest places, to look for those people who are absolutely in the most degrading way, who suddenly have recognized that they need to find a way back, but are ashamed to come back. And you need to be the vehicle that shows them that love. And so this parable, this parable teaches us about the kingdom of God. Uh, this is a kingdom of love, mercy, forgiveness, and forbearance. That's the kingdom of God. When you come back into the kingdom of God, God removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. You never see God posting a list of your sins. The discussion is over. You have been saved, and God moves forward. Somebody asked me last week, uh, would it have been possible for somebody like Hitler to be saved? Listen, I want you to understand something. If somehow, miraculously, Adolf Hitler came to his senses and recognized that he was, that he was involved with, it, with a demonic spirit, that he needed to be saved, that he reached up somehow and embraced God and said, Father, forgive me, I accept Jesus Christ, he would have been saved that day. All right? You understand this? I know this is shocking, but I want you to know this. This is exactly how our God is. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your past. He only cares about your future. And so that's how we have to operate. That is the kingdom of God. As I've studied this uh, over the years, it has really uh, made me think, how have I lived my life in terms of how I've treated other people? I'm, sh I'm ashamed to say that I have not lived like this, that there were many people that I could have reached out and helped, and I avoided them. I avoided them. They made me feel uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Get over it. Get over it. All right? It's like, it's like I said before. If your sensibilities are offended, well, get new sensibilities. Get new sensibilities. I can't emphasize this uh, enough. Uh, this is a kingdom. The kingdom of God is the kingdom that goes out to find and welcome the lost, uh, to bring them back without any rebuke, or any recrimination, and rejoices with great celebration for any who are found. Father, forgive me. 
Lord, I've sinned against you and my father. Father, forgive me. And what happens? You are embraced. You are loved. The, the signet ring, the, 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 emble, the emblem of the fact that you are now a part of the family of God is put on your finger, and nobody else is going to take that, that ring off. And then there is a celebration. Can you imagine that God would celebrate over the one that comes back? That's God. That's the kingdom of God. That's how great it is that God wants you to be with him. Listen, the more and more that I study this subject, the more and more that God really has laid it into my heart. I've spent the last several weeks in the Sunday classes talking about the fact that Jesus, in in, in chapter 17 of John, verse 24, Jesus is praying to the Father, actually praying to the Father that all that follow him will go with him to heaven that we will be with Jesus Christ in heaven as God, as the Lord is praying to the Father and the Father acknowledges it. Meaning what? Meaning you are guaranteed to be in heaven because Jesus prayed for you to be there. All right? There it is. So remove those doubts. And I say this also for some of us that are fearful of dying. I want you to understand this. Don't be afraid of dying. Don't be afraid of dying. It's only the greatest adventure that you will ever go through. That, that when you see that door that, that separates this world from the next, for Christians, it opens up in a triumph. In a triumph. But for those who have not accepted God, for those people who remain with the pigs, who don't come back home to the Father, it is not a triumph, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But we want to avert this. That's why God has called us this. We want to give this message to a world. And so here you see the kingdom of God. I wish I could say you see this in the churches. And I'm saying all churches, not just picking one church, but I'm sorry to say that I'm not sure I see this spirit in the churches. And that's why you guys are here. And you come from 40 different churches. I hope when you hear this message and the Holy Spirit touches your heart, I hope you go back to your churches and you help to change the culture of your churches. Because you should be bringing people into those churches that don't look like the people that are sitting in the pews right now. You got that? They don't look like the people that are sitting in the pews right now. Some of them are going to be homeless people. All right? Some of them are going to be gays and homosexuals and, and various types of sexual disorders. They're not like the people in the, in the church. But here's the, king, the deal. God wants them in the kingdom of God. And your job is to be the messenger and to bring them in. Let God convict them. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. But you bring them. You see this? You bring them. You'll be the messenger. You'll be the messenger of hope, the messenger of love. And then I know some people are saying, oh, yeah, John, but these people, they're bad. These are really bad sinners. They're really bad sinners. And I always say it, and I'll say it again. Please show me the point card system of sin, because I'd like to see it, because I haven't seen it. But I know some of you guys have that. You've memorized it. You've memorized it. You know what it is. Well, here's what you can do with that point card system. Rip it up. Because I don't see any point card system of sin here as, as we're dealing with the Father. What I see here is an over-encompassing 
spirit of love and mercy. You want to change people? You want to bring them into the kingdom of God? Then take them from the curb, take them from the sidewalk and bring them in to the kingdom of God. Let God convict them. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. And here's the other thing. Well, yeah, but you know, it could take some time for the Holy Spirit to work. Oh, oh, oh. So like in your case, it took no time. In your case, I look out, I see the average age here is about 93. And some of you guys have really only come to faith about two months ago. I know, I know, that was 92 years, and of course I'm exaggerating, but not that much, all right? In other words, all that time, God had patience with you and mercy with you, but now the people that we're bringing in, oh, we want them changed now. You understand? I mean, really, really, what Bible are you reading? Honestly, I'm, I, I'm astonished at this. But that's the spirit of the older son. Do you see what happens? How that very spirit infests itself and infects us, all right? And, and, and so instead, it's not a spirit of love and mercy and justice. It's a spirit of ingratitude. I want what I want. I'm here killing myself. Look, I know some of you guys are involved in all kinds of ministries. I know you are. Don't ever get to the point where you say, oh, Lord, I'm killing myself for you because somebody actually did get killed for you, all right? Somebody actually did die for you. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. That's why these stories just should make this, the hair on the back of your neck come up. And so this parable also teaches us about the character of Jesus. He is the one who sets out to find each one of us, regardless of the shame or cost to himself. He is the everlasting father who is eagerly waiting and anxious to embrace us in love without with knowing that the cost is great. Think about that for Jesus, that every time he embraced one of us, it was as if another nail was put into his arm. Another nail was driven into his foot because it would be a price to pay because of the lost coming to him. It wasn't free. There is no free lunch. Somebody had to pay the price. And he did. And so there he is in mercy and justice and love, embracing us and bringing us in the kingdom. He is the one who starts the party in heaven. Jesus does. Uh, and when we get that, we will sit at that table with him in that banquet feast. And so the message here is also about the younger son using and abusing Christ's good gifts without regard for his generosity. There it is. The younger son, I'm entitled to an inheritance. I'm entitled to this. Let me have it. Let me have your gifts. Let me have your talents. Let me have your prosperity. I like to be hanging around with the people of God. Seems like good things happen to them. I want my part. All right? And there's a lesson there for us also. Uh, do we take the gifts of God for granted? Do we take the, the, the chance to be with the people of God for granted? Uh, have we considered the merciful nature of the truth in this parable? Uh, and so here's the thing. If you want to share your faith with members of your family, you need to know this. You cannot be like the older brother. Nobody is coming to Jesus when the first words out of their mouth is, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're a loser. 
You don't, you don't deserve me as your relative. You don't, reserve, you don't deserve the gifts that God has given. Nobody comes to Jesus when that's the first sentence that they hear. And so this is important to know. We, if you want to live like the older brother, uh, scorning the shortcomings of others uh, or, or the character of the good shepherd, uh, and when you do that, you will never, ever bring anybody to Christ. Never. Nobody is going to want to be a part of that kind of life. And so how do we think? Here's the other lesson. How do we think of those people we think of, as I'm putting it in air quotes, sinners? Air quotes. Sinners. How do we see them? Well, the first way we should see them is to recognize that we are sinners. You see? Because if you don't first understand that you are a sinner and are saved solely by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, then you might as well keep your mouth shut and stay home and not try to evangelize. But it's only when you recognize that you also were lost, that you also were a sinner, uh, that when you do that, that now you can begin to speak to people the way God wants you to see. Does your message about Jesus overflow with mercy, forgiveness, and joy? When we share the good news with people, do we demand a full accounting of their sins before we are willing to take their response to Christ seriously? That's a good one, huh? All right, all right. You want to come to Jesus? All right, I need for you to sit down and write down every bad thing that you've done. I want a full accounting of this, all right? Because unless I see a full accounting of this, Jesus isn't going to accept you. Folks, let me ask you something. Where was the full accounting on the thief of the cross? The thief next to Jesus Christ, who all he said to Jesus is, Lord, remember me this day in your kingdom. Remember me this day. That was it. There was no Catechism 101. There was no water baptism. There was no sprinkling. There was no immersion. There was nothing about that. Jesus didn't give him a full theological lesson. What did Jesus say? This day you shall be with me in paradise. All right? So many of us have concocted this list of things. Hey, you must do this. You must do this. And instead of bringing people into the kingdom, we keep them out on the street. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us, Father. Forgive us for this. Forgive us for this. Open our minds. Open our hearts, Lord. Uh, and so this is so important to us. This is why I really believe that God wanted me to give these messages. And so, uh, I mean, here is the point. Who is the God that I reveal to the lost? What God, what kind of God are you revealing to the lost? Do you think of God as one who likes to haul the sinners over the coals? Beat us up, punish us, whip us, put us in the, the dung heap. Is that, is that your kind of God, or are you communicating a different kind of God? Are you communicating a God who is loving and gracious, embracing uh, someone who wants to bring everyone into the kingdom, and that as each lost person comes into the kingdom, there is an incredible celebration by God. That's the kind of God you need to communicate to the lost. That's the kind of God. And when you communicate that to the lost, you also want to be able to guarantee them that as they've embraced God, they've accepted Jesus Christ, that this day they shall be with him in paradise, that they'll be with him forever, that they'll be with him with their family if their family comes to faith. 
that God doesn't care about what they did before. That's the thing, folks. The problem with so many of us is we're, toy, we're caught up in guilt and shame. And let me say something else, that there's a lot of Christians caught up in shame and guilt. Well, let me clue you in. God has forgiven you. Now forgive yourself. All right? God wants you to be a soldier for the kingdom of God. He wants you out there advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the very essence of why he called us. Do you think he called you so that you could have a seat in the church? I want to look down on the fourth row, the third seat, and I want to see Joe. That's good. Joe's good. He's sitting in church. Hey, church is great. Church is important. But church is nothing more than huddling up on a football team. Sometimes we got to break the huddle and actually go out and run a play. You got that? You got to run a play sometimes. That's right. You can clap for that. You actually got to run a play. And the play isn't in church, you see. The play is out on the sidewalks, in the streets of the community, as you go out and reach a world that is lost. That's the kind of God we have. That's the lesson for us. That's the nature of the kingdom of Christ. And so here's the thing I want to ask you. Does your marriage, does your family, does your personal life show the celebratory nature of Jesus Christ? Whoa. I like this message until you got down that subject. Does it show the celebratory nature of Christ? When people see me, do they see the joy of Jesus in my life? Do they see the joy of Jesus? Do they see kindness and justice and mercy in the way that I live? Am I the kind of person that is a magnet that people say, I want to be with him. I like to hang around with him. I like to talk with him. Is that the kind of person that you are? Because if you are not, get back on your knees and ask God to fill you with that love that you need. And he will. He'll honor that. This is how we bring people to Christ. This is what we do. We need to demonstrate the same patience and humiliation in our relationship with people as Jesus did. Uh, so do we go out and search for the lost? Are we willing to endure humiliation? Do our ministries effectively do that? Do we look for the outcast? Do we look for the lost? Look, this is what these messages are about. Jesus is teaching us to live in an entirely different way. He showed us that the law was not merely the physical law. It was the law not only in that sense, but it was the law of the mind. Lust, that lusting in your heart, being slandering in your mind was just as evil as if you did it in the flesh. And so we could never live with the law. Only through the grace of Jesus Christ, by embracing our Lord and Savior as our, our Redeemer, could we live a life consistent with what God wants. And now that you're saved... All right, and I like to say you're in day one. This is day one. Day one is you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just like the thief on the cross did, you're in day one. But God has called you to day two, you see? And day two is the walking, the abiding, the taking up the cross, and the fact of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing it to people who would never hear it. Or if they've heard it, they've heard it in an improper fashion. All right? The, the cross of Jesus Christ is not about following rules and regulations. The cross of Jesus Christ is going out and finding people who are lost 
and broken and stuck and mired in sin and letting them know that God loves them, that they have to come back and just embrace God. As they reach up a hand for God, accepting Jesus Christ, God embraces them and he puts a signet ring on their finger and he has a celebration because that's how our God is. And so Jesus is challenging the scribes and the Pharisees in all three of these stories that we've gone through. Uh, In this last story, Jesus reveals the mercy and grace of God, even to the ugly brother. Even the ugly brother, you don't see the father putting recriminations or judgments on, but instead reaching out in love. And that's what God wants us to do. And so even within our groups and our friends and our families, as we come, against pe- come across people who don't have this vision of God, their job is to love them and to open their eyes, to show the kind of love that God wants from, from us, that kind of love that God expects us to embrace the world. And so the question now for you is, what about us? What about you today? Do you challenge the older brothers in our midst? Uh, do we show love and proclaim the gospel to the older brothers in our churches. Hey, folks, I'm going to tell you something. The churches throughout America are filled with the older brothers. They're filled with the older brothers. I don't care what church you go to. The older brothers are heavily invested in a lot of these churches. The question for us is, are we loving these people and showing them that they're outside the will of God, that God's kingdom is one of mercy and justice and love? Many of these people do not want sinners to come to the church. I don't want to look out and see those people. They make my skin crawl. I don't like seeing it. They offend my sensibilities. And yet you see here the older the father running with his legs exposed. What about his sensibilities? What about all those neighbors that were talking about his kids? What about all that? Did he care about that? No. His eyes were on the lost one. His eyes were on giving mercy and love and justice and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that that need it. Every one of us in this room has some small part of the older brother in our hearts. I'm sorry to say that. We have to ask God today to wash that away. Lord, give me the grace not to be able to think like that older brother, to look to you to proclaim your justice and your mercy in the way that you want us to do it, Lord. We have to be touched repeatedly by the grace of Jesus Christ. You have to be touched repeatedly, meaning daily. You have to have the grace of Jesus in your life. That's why I tell you, you need to pray a hundred times a day. You need to have this ongoing conversation with God. Even when you see someone come before you, you have to say, Lord, help me to say what I need to say. Help me, Lord, to do the right thing. Help me, Lord, to give me wisdom and guidance so that I can be what you want me to be. Give me help, Lord. I can't do it on my own. I need your love and mercy in my life because if left to myself, I don't have enough love. I don't have enough mercy. And so I want to assure you today that God wants to give you that. And that's your prayer. That's our prayer today. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your sense of mercy. Fill me with your grace so that I can convey this to people who are lost. And help me, Lord, to continue to learn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. You understand? Continue to learn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been going to church for years, and sadly, you haven't heard a message like this. All right? 
It's time that God speaks to your heart, that he opens your heart and you learn what Jesus is really like, what God is like, what the kingdom of God is like. And so the only way you can do that is by continuing to be in the word, continue to read the word, continue to study the word, continue to attend Bible studies, continuing to pray and speak to God and ask him to give you his grace and his mercy and his justice. And so what we see here essentially is how the power to communicate is so powerfully told through these stories that Jesus told that you saw the entire kingdom of God come together in the most powerful way as he has instructed us, instructed us and teaches us how we are to reach the lost. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this powerful story. Lord, all of these messages that you've given us on these parables have touched our heart. Lord, it's another kind of a kingdom. Most of us have never seen this before. We have never seen a kingdom that reaches out in love for the lost, for those who are at the very bottom rung, who have lived reckless lives and have sinned terribly. Yet, Lord, you embrace them. As they come back, you put your arms around them and you love them and you forgive them and their sins are wiped away and a signet ring goes on their finger. What kind of person does this, Lord? Only you are God. Only you are God. And so I pray today that all of our men are invested with this type of love and mercy and grace, that we can go out and see these types of lost people and give them the love that you have given us to embrace them, to bring them in, bring them in from the sidewalk, bring them in to a place where they can be part of the kingdom of God, where they can hear these messages, where the power of the Holy Spirit can convict them and straighten their lives because we're not gonna straighten their lives, only you are because you're the one who saves them. Lord, I pray for our brothers. I ask you to protect them this week and to bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.